Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to episode five of the Look Closer podcast. Today we have a very special guest calling in live from Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Jay Putnam. One of my friends from college uh, has a lot of really cool experience in theater, in TV, uh, in improv, and now working in media production. Um, we had a really awesome conversation. It, it did run a little bit long, but I do encourage you to listen to the whole thing. Uh, he, he was awesome to have on. He had a lot of great perspective on um, late night TV, his time uh, working on a late night TV show. Um, then going, we talked a lot about Netflix and, and the, the, how the movie industry is getting racked around a little bit. And uh, just really, really had a great time. So I um, hope you enjoy the podcast, and we will see you in just a moment. We are here live on Sunday night with none other than the host of Good Night with Jay Putnam. Jay Putnam! <laughs> oh my goodness. Jay, how are you doing tonight? It's so good to hear from you. I'm so glad to be here, man. It's great to hear your voice. It's oh. great to be chatting with y'all. This is awesome. Thanks for calling in. You are in Nashville, correct? I am. Calling I am. through the interwebs um, from Nashville. Um, we are so grateful you took time to talk tonight. Um, we've been friends for, for a long time, I think going on yeah. since our freshman year of college. So probably seven or eight years now. Um, and I know a long time That's awesome. and, uh, and, and I always remember you being, um, just one of the most genuine, authentic people, um, that I knew, um, really appreciated all the, the, the positive feedback you'd give me as I was, uh, going through things in my life and, and encouragement that you offered and, um, not to mention you just being a good friend. So um, you have a lot of really great things that you've been through and experienced that I think um, the people mm. listening could really uh, benefit from hearing you talk about. So um, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to be here and chat with y'all. This is a great podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, well, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background. So I know you've been sure. uh, involved in media, TV production, um, all things related to that, many things related to that. I'd love to kind of hear how that uh, got started, kind of where that itch came from and how that developed through high school, college and into your career. Great. That's a great question. So I started, I started my first time, I kind of jumped into this world. I was in fifth grade and our high school, I went to like a junior kindergarten through 12th grade school. And our we had the high school director came in to my fifth grade class and, and they were auditioning people for Les Miserables. They were yeah. doing it in high school and and I had never thought about being in a show or anything like that. And I for some reason just had this like itch to do it. I was like, man, this seems really cool. Um it was kind of my first foray into into the arts or the fine arts as you know people often call it. Yeah. Um yeah. and I ended up chatting with a bunch of my buddies and and they were like, Man, yeah, we kinda wanna do it too. And so we all went out and auditioned for it. It was a lot of fun. Ended up playing the part of Gavroche, mm -hmm. who is the little street urchin kind of kid who gets killed at the barricades. Spoiler alert, uh, if yep. you have not seen it yeah. um, or read the book. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a little too late on that one. But yeah. uh, it's it, it was great. And I, I really kind of hooked into it because I had these moments, you know, as a little fifth grader, I had these incredible moments where 
I'd finish the show and I'm with, I'm around all these high schoolers that I look up to and I think, and they're so talented and, and they're exciting. And it's, it's one of those moments where you're like, wow, I can't believe I get to be in this room mm-hmm. um, with these crazy, with these cool people. And when you're in fifth grade and you're around a sophomore in high school, you're like, Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm around all these people. I'm learning so much and getting to do it. And then people are coming up to me and they're like, Oh, I was sobbing. Like when you died and stuff, I was like, are you kidding me? Like this mm. rules. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Like yeah. let's do this. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it was just so fun that they, that there was a reaction and then I could elicit a reaction in people and that people connected with it because mm. that made me connect with it even more. Mm. Um, and then that kind of continued to grow. And I would have these moments where I'd like, get to know these high schoolers and and I was just in this circle this very creative circle that I now I can look back on it and kind of see what that meant to me more fully Hmm. yeah but it was just sort of a revelation to me um and then I continued to be on be in shows on and off through middle school and and high school and um in high school specifically there was a big shift for me in uh specifically kind of in writing Mm -hmm. because I started working with uh, I guess not working with that sounds it's that's kind of a <laughs> rhetoric for today but right, um, right. I was in a class oh yeah um, and uh, I was in yep. a broadcasting class okay and the teacher was this guy named Chad Fair who is brilliant so fun just an incredible facilitator and cultivator of creative thinking and I got into this class you auditioned for the class and our goal really for every week the assignment was you had to make video announcements for the end of the week and they yep. usually run like eight to ten minutes i remember seeing did, some videos on youtube of you yeah, doing that yeah i remember right. that and it's it's it was called night's news yep. and because we were the uh charlotte christian knights and so we called it night's news clever and it was you know really really top of the nose um and uh it was so fun because I was in this place where we would end the sketches usually with two or three kind of comedy sketches that we made. And mm. our audience was our high school classes. So yeah, yeah. basically we had this sort of fixed audience that we could learn about and understand how we write for these people, how we um, can make them interested, and also how are we writing for ourselves. Mm. And me, and that's kind of where I found my best friends um, there and in theater. And we would create these sketches and we'd start putting them up. And I had this teacher who was constantly like, Jay, I, I want you to write more, write more, write hmm. more. Like you're, even as a high schooler, he was sort of giving me the encouragement and the edification that I had some sort of a voice. Hmm. And yeah. and I found that there. And I found that with another teacher named Jessica Ramsey there, who was my English teacher in the same way, was just like, write more, write more, do these kind of things, you know? And, and it was addictive because um, when you sort of find a, a voice and no matter in really in what spectrum it could be in media or it can be in something completely different. If you have something that people are encouraging you to, to say in mm. any way that it can be said, it can be said in, I mean, we like writing and, and words aren't the only way to say something. But if, yeah. if somebody's encouraging you to do that, it's, it's really exciting. Mm. And it's a, it's a real tangible thing that you can look at and right. say that I'm, I'm a part of it. Yeah. And so I started to dive into that and then moving into college, I knew that I wanted to kind of stay in this in this realm. The dream always was like, you know, the Lonely Island. Right. <laughs> you know, digital shorts. That was yeah. my that was my thing. Yeah. And I yeah. know that you and I would watch I think we watched that Jack Sparrow short just like yes. fifteen million times. Yes, 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 yes. And and it was so good because it was so out of the box. Uh-huh. It was like how is this mind how are these how are these minds sort of creating and and connecting these dots yeah and that's what the mystery was really Mm. and um so as i started to move into college i started doing improv 
I did a little bit in high school, started doing more. I was on a team called Chips, which is the Chapel Hill Players. Mm-hmm. And that was also a place where it was just another shift for me. Yep. There was this electric energy there that mm. was constantly, you had to be constantly on. Right. You were always thinking. Your mind was moving a mile a minute. And it was, you were never supposed to stop thinking. Yep. And every idea was, every idea was, you, I can't say every idea was a good idea because that's not true. There's plenty of horrible ideas. But what was so special about it was you were working as a team. Yep. And this idea that creativity is is a team mentality. It's a collaboration, um, which is something that you and I have talked about a lot. Right. Creating um, something for a specific audience or a specific group of people like you did in high school and then how you got uh, even more experience in going into college and in the improv Mm -hmm. environment like the laughs are happening right in front of you, whether it's, you know, funny or not, you know, like you, like you have to design around the, the live, uh, drama, you know, and the audience is now as much part of the improv as, as you are, you know, completely. Right. You're so right. And, and when you're working with a partner, the idea that we always said, and, and we would kind of, one of our kind of mantras going through it was, your partner's idea is always better than yours. Mm, and good. so we were always, if the partner came out and said an idea, we added to that and you add to that idea and you bring your idea in with it. And when you have those ideas, if each partner is thinking that, oh, their idea is better than mine, mm. then there's this amazing mold that happens yeah. and this sort of synergy that's created there. It's a self, that, like a selflessness that paves the exactly. way for the funniest joke to rise. Exactly. This sounds a lot like gray basketball, Jay. I don't totally. It sounds like Dean am, Smith, Chapel Hill, Roy 100%. Williams basketball. Pass the ball. We could say is a good moniker. It's fairly. It's fairly poetic that we went to Chapel Hill, a little one of the greatest basketball schools, and had these things kind of <laughs> running through our minds constantly as it's right. consistently imbued to us mm-hmm. um, and imbued into our into our psyches. But mm. and and it's so good, and it's that sharing mentality that mm. you're like always passing. Yeah, I like and. That. And you let somebody else take the shot, but inevitably you end up taking a shot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's yep. something when you sort of like. It's like when you read. There, there's this saying. They're not saying, but there's these studies. It's like when people read the end of the book first, and they go back and read everything leading up to it, or you have that cadence right before, or that cadence right before the end of a song, and that moment and that sort of tension is is just as exciting as is the final button to mm. it. Yeah, and you kind of ha- and and the build up to the end of the book is so exciting and pleasing at that point. It's that's the kind of thing that you're playing with all the time, right? Right. And that energy, it, the adrenaline is just absolutely insane. And I mm. I was coming to find how much I love that speed. Mm. Okay, yeah. That's and great. I love the the speed and the and the rapidity of production in general as mm. a result. And that was something that I then what we've um, discussed a lot in the past was I ended up interning in New York. Yep. Um, for the none Tonight other Show. than yes. Mr. Jimmy Fallon. Mr. James Fallon himself. And he hadn't been doing um, the show very long at that point, right? It was his first season. Okay. He'd been doing it yep. about six months. And that was just an insane environment. Hmm. I mean, everything, you just soak up everything. Yeah. Because you're watching the most creative people, some of the most creative people in the entire world, yeah. put together and rethink an established brand. Yeah. And for what the people, the show? for the people that don't know, give them just like a two minute, one minute snippet of what the typical writer's schedule is like on The Tonight Show. 
Sure. Um, so I, what I did for them specifically was work with the writers and mm. they were incredible and they were so encouraging and they were ultra collaborative. So what you would see is you kind of wake up and, you know, I can't get into like too much detail. I don't yeah. think, I yeah. don't know really how that works, but, um, and they, uh, so they wake up and we're immediately, you're going through meetings and content meetings about what's going on for that day, what's mm -hmm. going on in the monologue, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's, there each, there's two different teams. There's a, well, not two, there's a couple teams working on things and, and throughout the day you're having these consistent production meetings that's going over the content. Mm -hmm. And then you're having the executive producers look at them and Jimmy's looking at them and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing it pass through so many hands, but also hold true to this really, really special kernel um, that is what The Tonight Show is and who Jimmy is and what the ultimate goal of the show is, which mm -hmm. is this like really positive, optimistic mm -hmm. um, portrayal of comedy and the world and yep. sort of seeing things through these like, you know, very happy yeah. lenses um and especially then that was like right as the show began it was kind of like changing that format that's what mm. they were doing yeah and so then you'd have you know rehearsal period when everything's kind of run through and then they take those notes back and then they get those ready for taping at five yep and my job was then to make sure that all those scripts were at the end of the day my last job one of my last jobs of the day was to make sure that all of those scripts were distributed to the necessary parties for taping mm -hmm. and it was just rapid fire and i'm in these rooms with people that i never expected to get to know and it was yep. incredible so i'm like i'm with the writers which is you know i mean that's a dream it's it's just hearing the way that they talk to each other right is so cool but then you're talking to the production group and uh you're talking to the pas and how they're producing for shorts and what they're making hmm. and then you're talking to some of the producers about their segments and then you're talking to the script supervisor about um, making sure that everything's put together and in order and then you're getting to know the cue cards and the cue card guys to make sure that they're doing everything correctly and it's yep. like man it was just like it was the most intense summer of my life right. and also, and just fascinating because right. then coming back, it was coming back to school. It was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, I had just had a master class. Yeah. And at the um, same time, like the, the show goes on every night, right? So if you don't every have a show ready to go, like they're there, you can't, they have to, they can't fill that time slot another way. Like they're looking for nope. you. And so whether it's funny or not, it's got to go up at some point. Um, totally. do, did, do you think you like felt that pressure a lot or was it something that you just kind of got used to and just rolled with it and it was part of the lifestyle? You know, I never really felt pressure, um, especially as an intern. I mean, they put a lot of responsibility on us as, you know, as you would an intern, you know, NBC Universal, you know, making sure that all that stuff's lined up and great. But they, I felt, um, I felt an urgency to it that was really exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like everybody, there was this energy that everybody was working towards this common goal. And, and that there was, there was a pressure to get everything done, but it wasn't a pressure in a negative sense. It was a pressure in this, um, very excited anticipatory, um, right. mindset to, to say, okay, what can we do today? What can happen today? Um, rather than saying we have to do this today, it was like, all right, let's, from what I saw, it was, okay, what do we get to do today? Yeah. That's Which awesome. Was, as a young kid and as a kid who's thinking about being a writer and stuff, you know, in college. Yeah. Well, it I was love, just addictive. And I, I'd love to talk a little bit more. We're going to take a break in just a minute. Um, so like we have a little bit more time in this segment, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about 
um, how that model of you know morning writing, um, you know midday meetings, uh, rehearsal in the early afternoon, taping at five, show on at midnight. How that's changed with the rise of the internet. How that is changing with 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 the rapid ascent of social media and Instagram and Facebook and kind of where it's where the, the format is going. Um, that's something I think mm-hmm. would be really cool to hear your perspective on. Um, but before we do that, um, we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back. Today's episode is brought to you by some of the greatest hits of the 25-pound turkey break. We did the hard work and found some of the funniest responses from moms. Here we go. How long would it take to cook a 25-pound turkey in the microwave? We have a neighborhood Friendsgiving tomorrow night, and I'm supposed to bring turkey. Why in the world would they assign you the turkey? You should be in charge of napkins or wine or something. Clearly, these friends don't know you. Also, if you attempt to cook the turkey in the microwave, it will explode, and you'll make all your friends sick. Incredible. All right, round two. Mom, how do you cook a 25-pound turkey in the microwave? You roast it in the oven. Do you not remember the holidays when you were being raised? Who the heck are you? I'm a grown man trying to microwave a turkey. <laughs> put, your, put your head in there. And microwave. <laughs> you can't make these things up, people. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We are going back to the podcast. Here we go. We are back with none other than Mr. Jay Putnam. Jay, are you ready for part two of our conversation? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Uh, well, real quick, uh, we talked a lot about your first uh, 15, 18, 20 years of life. Uh, I want you to tell, if, if you don't mind, tell the listeners where you've been since college, where your career's gone since the late night experience, and um, kind of where <laughs> you're at today. Yeah, so after college, uh, I lived in LA for a little bit, did some acting stuff here and there, took some class, just kind of bopped around and just figuring stuff out. I moved out to Nashville um, about a year later, and I love it out here. Um, I ended up started working for a production company. We make commercials and music videos and branded content docs, kind of a catch-all there, um, but mostly in the branded space. And I help bring in new clients for them mm-hmm. um, and new people to kind of make this like uh, mostly 30-second commercials or, or short branded documentaries, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then I also write on top of that. Okay, awesome. Um, let's jump back a little bit to, um, to the writing piece you were talking about. That seems to be a pretty um, common thread throughout all of your experience. Um, mm-hmm. So when you're the old model of writing for late night was the newspaper would come out, um, you know, the morning, the writers would have um, the whole day to kind of make jokes and look at that and, and, and then make jokes on anything new that happened throughout the day. But because there wasn't a steady uh, news source happening throughout the day, um, a lot of the jokes, by the time they made it all the way to 11 p.m., were one of the first jokes and first commentary people heard about the news of the day, Right. Um, mm-hmm. But now, with a 24-hour news cycle, cable TV is always talking about news, um, the rise of social media, the internet, Twitter, things like that, um, there are things happening at 11 a.m. that a lot of the commentary is happening by 1 or 2. The jokes are being made by 5. You guys would tape at 5, and then the show goes on at 11. Um, how do you think the 24-hour news cycle has benefited late-night TV or your perspective on, on comedy um, and how do you think it might have, might have harmed it? That's a really good question. I think that I think that kind of lends itself as well to kind of media as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. As I think that it's 
the news cycle technology in general, sort of this consistent influx of content, which is like a very buzzy word, right. um, to, to sort of see the ways that that has changed the way that we interact with content, whether that be late night television or news or documentary or film or anything like that, really how all of these pieces change. I think that for the late night cycle, it's an exciting thing in that you can, you can make the most topical joke possible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these jokes really are right. Um, Right. But then I think sometimes it sort of, it really, really keeps you on your toes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that, that allows for things to be late or things to be, things to be, I guess, altered or, or, or just be a little bit off kilter. But then you look at something like a Saturday night live and they have this great model where they can, they can change a joke. I mean, as it's being taped Mm, Yep. and that's really exciting. You know, when you see a 24 hour news cycle like that, then they really can be the people to break something. Right. And that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, When you're looking at weekend update and kind of the levity that that could bring to a, to Mm -hmm. a, to a story and what that sort of catapulted others into the national conversation. I don't know how that changes with late night. And mm-hmm. I think that that also changes a little bit based on the way that people interact with it online. Cause a mm-hmm. lot of that is sort of segmented out to YouTube or to Hulu yeah. or, or what have you. And we were talking during um, the break about um, like the, the, the content buzzword you were just saying, like there's no more content or no one has more content than Netflix right now. Right. They're putting billions and billions and billions into creating these new shows, but the concepts for the new shows are not necessarily based on what a bunch of leaders at the company think in the boardroom. They're based on algorithms and Netflix knows exactly who is watching each piece on their show. And they know that, oh, wow, people really like the the shows about um, high schoolers that are going through drama or people really like the shows about um, football players who who are, uh, you know, dating each other's um, girlfriends or something like that. Like, and they mm-hmm. can build around that. And do, do you think that helps creativity when the, the premise comes from what the computer knows people like because it knows what people watch? Or do you think it hurts creativity? That's interesting. I think that there's two sides to it, not mm-hmm. to sound like overly diplomatic, but I think that in one way, I think that it's, I think that it could be helpful in the way mm-hmm. that sometimes creativity can be born through structure. Yeah. And a lot of the best writers in particular, you can look at like a Stephen King, for instance. I mean, the dude wakes up, he writes a thousand words every day hmm. and, and that's his goal. And there's plenty of other things that go into that, but there is a very, and that's like, yeah, that's the most like high level view of it. But there's a very structured way of the way he creates. Hmm. And the way that he does that is a system that he's found that develops something really well. Now, that's a little bit different than the algorithmic side, but when you kind of have these ideas, one, it does help create things that people could be interested in. It does reduce a little bit of the risk of that thing when you're talking about it from a business perspective. Now, when you're talking about it from a a strictly creative perspective, it can be seen as, I think, a little bit um, saturating or a little bit numbing. Mm -hmm. There is that like excited, excited, romantic side of things where you're, you're a writer or a director and you're just like, you know, you see those images of them just like, you know, smoking on a, a porch in Paris and they're just like, they can't get the last word out and right. and they find it and it's a Nobel prize winner or whatever. Mm, yeah. um, and that's a side that's so amazing. And I think that one of the things I, I, I haven't noticed how this affects 
people myself, just because a lot of the community that I'm with, there are a lot of young writers who are kind of just getting off the ground or, mm -hmm. or just sort of starting like these very, very, very early stages because there's so much background work that people in these creative fields have to put in to even get to be in any level of conversation outside right. of them. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating market and kind of market structure, I think, in general, when you look at it from a business perspective. But I, I think because of that, it can be difficult, but then you can sort of follow it. There could be potentially, and I'm, I'm speaking completely out of hypothesis, yeah. there could be strengths in the way that you can sort of find fads maybe or, or find these interests and in where they're going and, and right. create spec scripts alongside those. You know, a lot of people get in through specs, like um, Vince Gilligan, who did Breaking Bad, he wrote a lot of specs for X-Files hmm. or a, a one or two or whatever. And for anyone and that may not know, what's a spec? When you say that language, what do you mean by that? A spec is a script that you write that kind of continues the story, hmm. that but is not an episode that's necessarily going to be shot. It gotcha. just sort of shows okay. that you understand the story, the creative, what the people are going for so they can get an idea of your tone as it's applied to something else. Okay, that makes sense. And applied to what they're doing. Cool. Um, so... You know he's writing these spec scripts for this, and they're like, "Oh, that's awesome! Like you can come on, and you should come on and write for us." And and it could, you know, when you look at these algorithm algorithms, that could be a really great way to kind of develop right. your career. Mm -hmm. um, although if you lean too heavily on that, I think that I think we'd be pretty hard pressed to find a day when algorithm runs everything to a T and that's also me not knowing the data fully, right, but right. I and it think removes that some of the still, humanity behind it. Yeah, sure. I think that there's an element of surprise that the human mind can bring to a thing that, you know, binary cannot. And, mm. and there's so much complexity to the way these algorithms work. But right. I think that the human, you know, the human word, like the human intelligence, it brings out these these surprises that I think will continue to to kind of yeah move throughout content, move throughout TV and film. Yeah, no, and I think that exactly what like what you said. If you if you look at it from the business side of running a internet company like Netflix or um, you know Hulu, things like that, like you make money when people watch what you make, and if you totally. know what people like then if they like what you're making, they're going to watch it, which in turn is going to bring you more money, right? And so I think- Yeah, I think like why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you do it, right? So back in the day, like the TV show Pilot was pretty much the only way you could see if a show would be a hit. And you would run it to this audience on at eight o'clock on a Thursday and they'd see what the ratings were. It was kind of like just you're just putting yourself out there. And then if, if people watched it, it stuck. If they didn't, it would sometimes only air once or twice, right? Um, mm -hmm. but Netflix now can, can know before they even make a pilot, like people are going to like this because this is what the data says. And so, like you said, it removes some of the risk and they can put billions of dollars into it because the computer reveals that, that they like it and watch it. Um, I also want to ask it's you, this, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it's this really smart lean model that mm -hmm. you're looking at. It's like, it's like. It makes me think of that book by Eric Rice, the um, the Lean Startup, where he's talking about like you make a lot of things and you see what works, and and that's the kind of the model that we have with a Netflix because they have the ability to make so much at a pretty and low at a low risk, right? They have this base of subscribers. Risk. Like if something fails, it fails, but if it, it hits, it it does a lot for them. 
And you see it go, you see Netflix in particular go through these waves of excess content mm. and then these massive slashes. Exactly. And like yep. they just cut like Luke Cage and I think Jessica Jones and, and all these kind of Marvel shows that like people love Luke Cage, but there's mm-hmm. there it, it didn't perform, I guess, the way they needed it to. Mm. And so you kind of watch as we're sort of watching this ebb and flow of content because netflix i mean when you really think about it it's not that old right <laughs> i mean they were only in, the, in its current it's current conception they were only on the inception. internet for like seven years maybe eight years i remember when they switched to an internet only service and there was a big backlash because everyone was like totally. what do you mean you're taking away the dvd business like that's what netflix is to me you know um, right. but i don't even know if they have a dvd business anymore i don't think they do i don't know yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> um, I wouldn't use it. I don't own a DVD player. I don't. I don't either. We were thinking about that. I, I was talking with Elizabeth the other day, and I was like, even if I wanted to get something from Redbox, I don't have anything to play it on. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was like, okay, oh, put it on my computer. My computer doesn't even have a drive anymore. Uh, anyway, my, I thought I was gonna be able to use my old computer, and it's like completely broken. <laughs> right. <laughs> either um, that, or it's just gonna catch on fire if I turn it on. Well, and and I think the biggest story is like all credit to Netflix because they saw this coming. They saw the internet and and fast yeah. bandwidth and and fast fast internet speeds as the, the the precursor to this bigger access that people have. And now you don't have to go to the store and and do the selection yourself and think, well, what's worth me spending me six my six dollars on this Friday night. Like the cost of opening a new show and trying something new is basically zero to the subscriber. Totally. Um, and I, I mean, you you might know this, but Netflix is actually um, they have a couple movies that that have Oscar nominations, which I think is a big deal for their credibility as a big mm-hmm. movie provider. But they also were about to re- to release a movie on Netflix before it goes into theaters, which is crazy to think about. But they're upending this. 80-year-old model, 90-year-old model of, yeah. of movie producer as studio, then to the theaters, then to the, um, you know, the home distribution and, and all that. But, um, I mean, there's this is a massive shaking of this big industry. It's absolutely insane. I mean, it's like it could not be a more exciting time, I think, to be in media because it's like the Wild West. Hmm. Yeah. Anything goes, you right. know, like you have algorithms at one part, but on another side technology is completely democratized that's a good and yeah. everybody has the access to the internet mm-hmm. and especially i mean like not but you know what i mean like yeah. if, if, if the prominence critical, of the critical saturation specific, yeah exactly and it's there's this prominence of the internet and being able to upload content and then really you can shoot something really beautiful on you know get an iphone 10 it's gorgeous if you get like a little gimbal to go with it i mean it's not gonna be insane but right there are films right. like that getting into festivals exactly you know? yeah and or at least like making people curious uh-huh. and and there are so many there's so many back doors into the industry now and so many ways to kind of up into this model mm. that and the way things are getting financed or the way that things are getting produced or who's producing them or where they're being produced or right. where you need to be and the tax incentive structure. I mean, all of this stuff is going through such intense change. Right. And then culturally, it's going through an intense change and a really great one. I think, yeah. Um, that's that's really exciting to see, like, I guess, like, just, like, see, like, good people, mm. like, become the forefront of an industry. Yeah. And I think I think that that one sentence that stuck out from what you just said is technology 
has democratized the creative process, right? 100%. You're, you're seeing yeah. you're seeing gatekeepers have a whole lot less power. You know, if you were a script writer 30 years ago for like in, in the TV sphere, you pretty your only way to get noticed and get success and ultimately like be able to make a living off it was to get through these gatekeepers of the studio executives reading the specs like you were talking about right but now you you have a whole lot more um, opportunity for creativity to bubble up to the surface and 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 i think another thing we should think about jay is that 50 years ago there were only four channels on tv right and so if you weren't oh, abc yeah. cbs fox or is that all of them abc and nbc um, if you NBC, weren't one yeah. of the four like you didn't get into people's homes you didn't get into their media lives um, right and so this this idea of mass communication and mass media the like, geared toward the average person was popular and worked but now with netflix you have the democratization like you said shows that um, a certain group of people really love are now have the key you know now have an mm. option to to grow um, shows that wouldn't have been greenlit at a, at a big studio for a primetime TV slot now can get greenlit for places like Netflix and Hulu, which I think is yeah, awesome like, for the creative process. It's like Stranger Things. Right. That they, they got turned down by every major channel. Hmm. And Netflix is like, that. oh, yeah, we'll take a shot on this. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and Game of Thrones, even being on HBO um, exclusively. Oh, yeah. You know, like... I don't know. I, I don't know the story of Game of Thrones, but I know that it's become a huge hit that um, any one of those major players um, would have loved to have, um, which is pretty pretty wild. Um, well, we have totally. a, maybe a few minutes left, Jay, but I'd love to get your um, final thoughts. We've looked closer, dot dot dot, <laughs> at this content, <laughs> um, uh, but I want to know where do you think this is going in the future? Where do you think TV is going? Let's say when our children are fifteen. Okay, I don't know when that's going to be. Probably. 30 years i don't know uh -huh. 25 years i don't know it's, <laughs> it's all it's all good guess. lord 20, no 20 to 25 years from now um give or take several years uh what do you think their <laughs> community communication media landscape <laughs> elizabeth is in the room and she is dying laughing <laughs> which is making me have a hard time staying focused <laughs> she's, she's really mad at my math um anyway <laughs> Um, uh, what do you think future children will yeah. will look will look at when they see their uh, the communication TV media model? That's a great question. I think that it's getting increasingly fast. Um, I think that the way that we digest content and at the amount that we digest it as I think is only going to continue to, to mm -hmm. get faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And then I think that responding to that, I think that production is going to have to get faster as well, just as it is. Mm -hmm. um, production is moving so, so quickly and people are shooting movies and TV shows and everything just with, with um, urgency. Um, and I think that I feel like inevitably at some point, and this is just conjecture, but I feel that at some point there's going to have to be a pretty big shakeup because mm -hmm. there's so much going out right now. Right. There's so much being made. That's at some point, I don't know how it's, I don't think, and I don't I don't want there to be like the gatekeeper in any way to come back. But I think that, you know, there might be, I don't know what that shakeup would be or how it would look, but I think that that would be something um, that will sort of show the way and sort of guide the way that 
production has sort of moved or how we move into it as a, as a culture and as a, as a, an, an international culture, really, mm. as that continues to grow. And as, as the international capabilities and international voices come in, I mean, you're on Netflix now and you're seeing mm-hmm. like there's French movies right. that I'm being like French and Italian movies that I'm being recommended that I'm like, you're a oh, sophisticated man, man Jay. <laughs> And, no, but it's not that. It's like you watch Die Hard, so maybe you can watch this. And I was like, oh, I guess so. It's like that's cool, I guess. And it's not at all. It's like I'm a complete, yeah, just like oh. Right. But and it's but it's great. And I think that I think that it's going to cause. I think it's only going to broaden the scope mm-hmm. of of content and the international world, which right. is exciting because that, in a lot of ways can bring us together in like a really, really amazing way. Right. When you start diving into the stories from different places and seeing how all these people connect, Mm -hmm. like the, like for instance, you know, um, there's blue is the warmest color that was nominated for an Oscar a couple of years ago. And then there was a, I cannot remember what it was called, but the Iraqi film that won the Academy Award last year, that was apparently incredible. And, um, and so all of these things, you're going to be looking at beyond just seeing like, Oh, the best foreign language film on the Oscars, you're going to be seeing, oh, that's, you know, recommended on the front page of Netflix or on the front page of Hulu. And I think that that is going to become so much more accessible in an exciting way mm-hmm. that we're going to be able to kind of tap into these extra cultures and right. and, uh, and involve ourselves and interact with different cultures in, in these mm-hmm. very, very special ways. Um, and not even ha- not just have an Americanized model of what's popular, what's totally. what's worth watching. Right. I think you're onto something there. And we, we didn't even we don't have time to get in this today, but the negative parts of not having a gatekeeper. Right. Um, what role does censorship sure. play in that case? What role does um, having that's some, a like, whole viewing, other rabbit hole? Yeah, viewing standards. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know this exactly, but I don't think Netflix has to report ratings on their platform, right? Like they don't need to come up with an R or a PG thirteen or a PG for all their content. Oh yeah, I think you're right. It might be maybe it's TV ratings, but but they don't have the same rules about um, what can and can't be broadcast on their platform which kind of could pave the way for a lot of good things, yes, but probably a lot of bad things too. Um, and it could create a landscape for our future children that may be a little bit more um, hard to navigate, right? especially as parents, you know, trying to keep their kids from, keep our kids from things that are not healthy for them, um, things like that. So yeah, um, I think that could be interesting too. Um, well, in our Gosh, last- Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Right. It's crazy. And in our last minute or so, do you have any- parting thoughts anything that's just sitting on your on your heart your mind that you didn't say before we uh turn the mics off tonight wow i put you on the spot sorry yeah man geez we covered a lot tonight that that got pretty in depth i think that i think when we're looking at media in general we're looking at creativity i think that it's it's only on an upward on an upward trajectory right now, mm. and I think that uh, honestly, and I'm not even like trying to plug y'all in any way. I think podcasts are a huge part of that as well, mm. because the podcast yeah. game has completely altered the way people interact with. That's a good point, uh, or at least at, not altered, but I think added to the way people interact with story and news mm-hmm. and and narrative and things like that, and and like taking us back, but also moved it forward. I think it's just, yeah, it's too much of a rabbit hole to really get into. I don't know what a parting thought would be. Yeah. It's like, good good job, media. Like, keep, yeah. keep, keep killing <laughs> keep, it. Keep, keep going, media. Yeah. Um, hot, hot dog. <laughs> hot dog. Um, well, Jay, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. That was, that was a too. wonderful 
um, wonderful last half hour or so. And um, we cannot wait to have you on again. I uh, would love Good. would love to do this regularly um, so we can get your perspective on all the things related to media. Um, we, we did mark down that we do want to talk about millennials and cities at some point. Um, like yeah. kind of the rise of cities and the, the, the good things that come with cities growing a lot and also the bad things too. So maybe that could be a future topic, but, um, cool. in the meantime, thank you so much for talking with us tonight and, uh, yeah, hope you have a great, uh, great week, bro. Thanks, man. Thank y'all so much. Love what you're doing. I'm excited to be a part of it. All right. Thanks, Jay. Good night. Bye guys. And that's a wrap. I am here with none other than Elizabeth Raby. Elizabeth, another podcast in the books. How do you feel? Feeling great. I thought that was one of the most successful ones yet. Jay's just got a great personality, a lot of really cool experience that I thought, you know, I learned a lot about to this industry and I just thought it was really cool and I hope the listeners enjoy it as much as I did. And if you want to go on a little YouTube adventure, just Google... <laughs> Good night with Jay Putnam, and you'll see some of the highlights. He was pretty modest on the podcast. Yeah, we didn't but. explain. Yeah, Jay had like a like a like a late night show at UNC, and my freshman year was when it came out, and all my friends watched it and thought it was hilarious. And so, if you want some entertainment, it is it is really good, high quality stuff. Well, Elizabeth, tell our listeners how they can get more involved with Look Closer podcast. Please get more involved. We would love to have more people listening and giving us feedback and. Um, just more content to put out. So if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, that'll be how you kind of get announcements about new podcasts going up and things like that. So you can follow us at Look Closer Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And to find our podcast each week, we post them around Sunday, Monday, and you can go on lookcloserpodcast.com. That'll redirect you to our SoundCloud, or you can go right on iTunes and just look up the Look Closer podcast, and you'll find it right there. And if you love this episode, feel free to share it with someone. Tell them about the podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear about more people listening and really just want to get as many people around the table as we can. So, exactly. um, Elizabeth, thanks so much for your help today. Sure thing, And uh, listeners, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you all next week. Bye.